disciples. I pray as we turn to those parts of the Bible tonight, I pray you'd literally speak to us. I pray, God, you'd reveal yourself to us. I pray you'd help us to hear and help me to speak. I pray for anyone, God, tonight who might be distant from you. I pray you would reveal yourself to them. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, True story. In April 2000s, there was a horrendous car crash in Japan. And it was on the main motorway. And um, there was, it was a fatality. The, the car was absolutely smashed to pieces. And a guy was trapped inside and his life was ended. It was tragic. And uh, someone came to the scene and he identified, recognized the car, hardly could recognize the body because of the, the damage, the mess. Uh, but he it did identify that it was his brother-in-law. So he had the job of taking the news back to his family and tell the whole family that uh, the fella had died. So the news got home and the whole family gathered uh, in the living room. And you can imagine the wife is absolutely distraught. It's, 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 he, he's a 60-year-old shipbuilder, uh, this guy. They had a long marriage together. He was, he was utterly distraught. She was distraught because of the loss. The family had gathered. Everyone is really it's total shock. They didn't, no one saw it coming. And uh, they're all there in the living room and they were starting to talk about memories they had of this guy and talked about the funeral plans and, and so on. And just there, there was a knock on the door, and they opened the door, and in walked the 60-year-old shipbuilder back from work, wondering, why, why is everyone here in my living room? He hadn't died, okay? That's the point. That's punchline, right? So you're all looking so morbid, but he hadn't died. They got the wrong guy, okay? So I feel sorry for the other guy, but this was a good news scenario. Uh, they'd got the wrong guy. Completely. So you can imagine the emotion in the room suddenly changed. It went from being tears and uh, to laughter. And all of a sudden, people went from mourning to joy, and uh, they just couldn't believe it. You imagine the, wife, the poor wife, what a roller coaster of a day she's had. Anyway, that's, that, that's a true story. And uh, the six year old shipbuilder must have walked home and think, Why is everyone in my house? Why is everyone looking so sad? <laughs> but you can imagine that's probably the emotion the disciples were about to go through. And in these verses we're going to be looking at, this is Jesus, the na- last night of his life. He knows full well. The next morning, he's going to be crucified in the Roman cross. He's going to go through a horrendous death, pretty much unequaled to any kind of death you could go through. And he went through this, and the disciples anticipated something was coming. They didn't know fully what was coming, but Jesus kept alluding to something. And they didn't want it to happen, but they were really somber because they were aware of what's coming here. And their emotions were probably like the emotions of these people in Japan when they went through this mourning. Jesus said in John 16, verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then in a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but the grief, your grief, will turn to joy. A woman giving birth brings a child, sorry, bringing birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
I'm going to be repeating that phrase several times in this message. No one will take away your joy. Say that with me. One, two, three. No one will take away your joy. Now, if you saw that as a marketing slogan, imagine some advertising company came up with this about a product. You buy this product, you will have everlasting joy. You'd think, no, you're exaggerating. You think, no, that's just just marketing speak. That's an exaggeration. But Jesus is saying here that actually something's going to happen in your lives, and this is what the result will be, that no one will be able to take away your joy. So the question is, what is the source of lasting joy? And I've just got three things from these verses that I want to give you. Three things that you can have lasting, unchanging, eternal joy in your life. How many people want some of that? All right, three of you. That's great. (laughs) Number one, first source of lasting joy is Jesus being alive. So Jesus has just said, verse 21, a woman giving birth uh, to a child is pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child has been born into the world. So with you, now is your time for grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus likens the whole experience he's about to go through, the death and the cross, and the resurrection on the third day, to being like a woman giving birth to a child. Now, my wife's given birth to two children, 11 years ago and nine years ago. Both occasions, it was pretty hard going, three days of labor. It was really hard going. I was okay, though. I, I managed to get through it, and I managed to sleep at various points. It was incredible, and I was looked after. So don't worry. Don't worry. You, you get through these things, right? But there was a lot of pain, and there was a lot of... Uh, it was tough. But honestly, after the baby was born, after Becky was born, after Michael was born, both occasions, Angie said straight after, I would have gone through all that again just to have this. She was just so overjoyed at the joy that a child had been born. And mothers relate to that. You understand that dynamic. You know that, sure, I mean, unequal pain, but unequal joy. And this is what Jesus is describing. This is the analogy. This is what it's going to be like when I'm dying on the cross. It's going to be like you're going to go through a pain. Guys, you're going to about to go through this pain the next day. And you're going to think the world is collapsing. But then all of a sudden, you're going to see me again. You're going to see me resurrected. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have joy. And he said this, you will rejoice. I will see you again and you will rejoice. He didn't just say joy is possible. He said joy is inevitable. You will rejoice. There is a tr- this, this joy, when you meet the risen Jesus, this is an inevitable joy. It would be impossible not to have joy in meeting the risen Jesus. It's the reality of meeting with God in a real way. If it doesn't touch you deeply, then you haven't really met with God in the real way. Joy is inevitable when you have an encounter with the risen Jesus. A couple of chapters on, after Jesus has died on that cross, and by the way, he did that for you. He did that to save you. And he rose again the third day. And this is what it says after his resurrection. John 20 now, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Same Greek word is used in the verse earlier where it says, no one will take away your joy. Same word, joy, overjoyed. Same Greek word. This is the moment. They've gone through the anguish. They've seen their savior crucified on the cross. Now they've seen him resurrected and they're overjoyed. And I have to tell you, 
No one could take that joy away. That joy lasted through the duration of their lives. And today, those same disciples are very much alive, joyful because of Jesus Christ. This joy is a lasting joy. The resurrection is the source, the first source you need to understand of your lasting joy. Sir uh, Lionel Lucko is famous. You'll know him from the Guinness Book of Records. He's the most famous and most successful trial lawyer ever. He had, at one point in his career, 245 successful murder defenses in a row. And despite his fame and success, he was an empty man. He was on a search and he wasn't finding the answers he was looking for in life. Age 63, near his retirement, he decided to turn his expertise in analysis to looking at some big claims. And he took, specifically, he took on the claims of the resurrection found in the Bible. He wasn't a believer up until this point. And as he turned his analytical skills to analyzing the claims of the eyewitnesses from the Gospels and from other historic material, he became absolutely convinced that the resurrection was a true event and that had a huge implication for his life. And he became a believer. This is what he said. He said, I've spent more than 42 years as a defense lawyer in many parts of the world. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the truth about that, is the source of your unending joy. Jesus said, no one will ever take away your joy. You see, if the source of your joy is Jesus, and he's alive forever, then your source is an eternal source, and your joy will continue. So how do you get this joy from God? Okay, imagine, imagine uh, it's my anniversary, my wedding anniversary, and I go and buy my wife flowers. So I go out, buy her flowers, and I ring her doorbell, flowers by my back, and Angie answers the door and says, why are you ringing your own doorbell? This is your house. You can just walk in. I said, well, no, I brought you these. And I bring out the flowers. I said, oh, Pete, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Why did you do that? I said, well, it's my duty. Right? How would that go over? It's my duty. Right? Ooh. How many thinks that would go down well? <laughs> okay. How many thinks it wouldn't go down well? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would go down well. It's my duty. All right, dutiful husband, well done. Right, that wouldn't go down well. Okay, let's say, and you know, she wouldn't have felt special. If I just said, it's my duty, she wouldn't have felt that special. But okay, let's rewind the tape. Back to the beginning, I'm at the door. Flowers by the back. Ding dong. Angie answers the door. Hi, Pete, you could have just walked in, it's your house. Oh, no, I brought you these, honey. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's our anniversary. Why did you do that? Well, it gives me so much joy to let you know how special you are. There's nothing makes me happier than to know you're happy. Do you know what? And tonight, I'm going to take you out and we're going to your favorite restaurant because I just want you to know you're loved and I, there would be no one else I would rather spend tonight with. Now, how many people realize that would go down a bit better? All right? And what's the difference? I mean, would she then say to me, you're so selfish, Pete? Because if you look at my statements, I would get so much joy from taking you out tonight. I feel so happy 
knowing that you feel loved. Look at the statements. I'm getting a lot of joy from this. But she wouldn't say, you're being selfish, would she? Because there's something right about that kind of joy. You see, the problem is many people try and get joy by going looking for joy. And the whole point is you can't get joy by going looking for joy. You get joy by pursuing God. And if you have a deep desire in your heart, I want to honor him. I want to love him. This risen savior, I want him to be everything to me. You will find more joy than in any other source on this earth. Many Christians aren't experiencing joy because they're living out of duty. You come to church services, oh, well, it's my duty to sing. <laughs> Let's go then, and you sing those songs to Jesus, right? Or you think, well, it's my duty to read my Bible. It's not very relational speak, is it? Really, what we should be saying is, do you know what? I just think you're incredible, God. And actually, there's nothing I would rather do than just sing your praise. You see, if you go looking for joy, you're not going to find it. Rather go looking for God and then you'll find joy. The problem we've got in our society is this. People in our culture, are just they're looking for joy. That's, that's kind of a Western mindset. We're looking for experience, we're looking for joy. So as a result, people start criticizing worship style. Well, oh, we sang that song last week. Or, you know, I don't like the way you do this service. What? It's like having a cup of water and thinking... I'm not drinking that. I don't like the cup. You're really thirsty. You need the water and you're complaining about the style of the cup. That's what it's like. That's how ludicrous it is. And people are, and they, they get caught up with the surface. I have to tell you, we do church in a certain way, right? But I, I have to tell you, I could quite happily turn up at any other church in this city and pull out an old hymnal I look, look down at our Leith services. We, we're right next door to a free church. They don't even have musical instruments. Everyone wears suits. Women wear hats. Tuning fork hits. They sing a song a cappella. Old school. Whoa, cool. No jeans, right? Wow. So you walk in and you, you just go for it. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, I have to say, could I worship there? Totally. Totally. I, I could get past that. That's just surface. I would still enjoy that drink of water despite the cup it's in. No problem. I mean, seriously, don't be shallow, folks. Go past these things. If you're looking for joy, you'll, you'll get stuck in all these things. If you're looking for God, you won't have a problem with any of these things. Because actually, I can worship God anywhere. I can just express my love to him with any song. I can, you understand? It's all about him. Some perceive God has let you, some of you think, God's let me down. And you, you're like, to be honest, the disciples thought this as well. This is the last night of Jesus' life. Within the next few hours, they really thought, do you know what, have we wasted the last three years of our lives? Here's Jesus crucified. We've given everything to follow this Jesus. And now he's crucified. Was he who he claimed to be? Have we been duped? They thought, maybe God's let us down. And to be honest, some of you have gone through things in life and you're thinking, it kind of looks like God's let me down. You know, there's some several... There's big prayers I prayed that I really needed God to come through for, and he didn't answer those prayers. Maybe God's let me down. And the disciples would have thought exactly the same. But the truth is, they suddenly realized when the resurrection happened, they suddenly realized he is true. He is who he claimed to be. He can be completely depended upon. Now, the fact is, myself, I've had many things in life that throws up curveballs and makes me say, well, wow, really, God, 
can I depend? And yet God never changes. God is completely true. The resurrection of Jesus proves that you can base your whole life on God. And do not misinterpret God by your circumstance. Don't trust your circumstance above God. Don't trust your circumstance. Sometimes your circumstance will lie to you. Sometimes the emotion in your soul will lie to you about who God is. The truth about God is God can be totally trusted. God can be totally depended upon. Do not doubt God. Doubt your circumstance rather. And that's what the disciples discovered that Jesus was completely true and therefore he became the source of their joy. Jesus said, no one can take away your joy. And the source of that joy is Jesus, the risen Jesus. Another problem many of us have is we make the wrong source of joy. You try and find joy in another person or a situation. So you've got this joyful anticipation because, oh, there's a new job opportunity coming up on the horizon. Or, oh, there's a possible relationship here and that becomes a source of joy for you. Or your hope is maybe that situation can turn around and I can find joy in that situation or that relationship or that possibility or or whatever. And you pin all your hopes of joy in that thing. But that's that's such a shaky ground to have joy on. Because people aren't dependable. And situations aren't dependable. Now when it comes to trust, okay, I, I don't trust everyone, okay? So, for example, Dan, okay? So Dan, good guy, I trust Dan 9 out of 10. That's good. Situation or that relationship or that possibility or, or whatever. And you pin all your hopes of joy in that thing. But that's such, a, that's such a shaky ground to have joy on. Because people aren't dependable. And situations aren't dependable. Now when it comes to trust, okay, I, I don't trust everyone, okay? So, for example, Dan, okay? So, Dan, good guy, I trust Dan 9 out of 10. That's good. Yeah? But when it comes to James... Well, that's a very different match. So James, for example, he's kind of six out of ten. Now, he knows why. He knows why. <laughs> he's six out of ten. All right. I don't trust everyone. And you might think, oh, you can't say that, Pete. Well, to be honest, I don't even trust myself. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I let myself down all the time. I'm going to do this. Then I don't. Right? I mean, how can I trust myself? I don't, I don't even have ultimate trust in myself. So I'm not going to absolutely ultimately trust you guys. No offense. And some I will trust less than others. No problem. I love everyone. Love people. Trust God. Okay, that's, that's probably a good, a good way of dealing with it, right? However, when it comes to God, you can 100% trust God. And if he is the source of your joy, then if, if you want to have lasting joy, not just temporal joy, because you had a happy situation, so you have happy joy. I, I, I'm not saying you don't rejoice when you get a job or you have a relationship. Sure, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're looking for lasting joy, You've got to have it based on someone who is far more dependable than the people around you. And that is Jesus Christ. And he is resurrected from the dead. So the source of your joy is alive forever. Therefore, your joy can be alive forever. You see, in three years of those ministry, in that three years, these disciples had spent three years with Jesus. In those three years, they'd experienced joy being around Jesus. Now these next three days, they experience utter grief. And then they see him alive. And they experience incredible joy for the next 40 days. And then he ascends back to the Father. 
And Jesus said in Revelation 1, verse 17 to 18, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. Jesus Christ is so very much alive. The source of my joy is not a corpse. The source of my joy is a resurrected Lord who rules the universe, who has beaten and conquered Satan, sin and death. And he rules and one day will return. He's the source of my joy and therefore I have lasting joy and so can you. Number one, the source of joy is the risen Jesus. Secondly, source of joy is knowing what he accomplished. Knowing what he accomplished. This becomes for you a source of joy. So the disciples, again, look at the journey they were on. The next day, Jesus was going to be crucified. In that moment, every claim Jesus had made to them in the previous three years was brought into question. Can we trust everything he said? You know, they were wondering, who is he really? What is, this, what is the purpose of this death? They had no real grasp on what was going on. They were utterly confused and they were emotionally all over the place. But I tell you, when they saw him alive three days later, when they saw him alive, everything would have fitted into place. It would all make sense. He claimed to be the son of God, to be God in the flesh. He's resurrected. He totally is who he claimed to be. He claimed his death would be for the sins of the world. He's resurrected. He took my sins. Everything all of a sudden clicked into place with the resurrection. They instantly comprehended that this death, this resurrection has a purpose that brings eternal life to me, brings salvation to me, brings forgiveness to me. And that became for them a source of incredible joy, huge joy. We called it the gospel. Uh, the gospel, the, the word gospel is from the Greek word euangelion, which comes from two words, you and angelion. You uh, speaks of joy or goods. Angelion speaks of message or news. So literally it's, uh, it's a joy news. It's news of joy. It's joy tidings. It's news that will bring you joy. Good news. So this, is a, this message about Jesus' death on the cross, what he accomplished in his death and in his resurrection, for you is a message that will bring you joy. It will bring you good news. That's the news. All of a sudden, this made sense for them. And I've seen this. This is so tangible. This isn't just nice thoughts. This is real. It tangibly makes a difference in lives. A, year, a couple of years ago, probably now, uh, William Wells, who uh, many of you know, he's one of the key stewards down in Leith. Uh, William, his daughter Stacy, started coming along to our services. And she's a, she was young. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed for healing. She wasn't healed. And uh, she was taken in and she spent her last days in a hospice uh, on the south of Edinburgh. But she, she came to church and in those times, like you're here today, she gave her life to Jesus. And I really pray, I really pray, if you don't know Jesus today, I don't know, you might live another 40 years, but I just want you to know him. I hate the thought that you today, honestly... I hate the thought that any one of you don't know God. You're a human being created in his image. I know what he did for you on the cross. Please, please, will you yield everything to him 
and become a follower of Jesus today. Please don't live another day not living for God. And I'm not just saying it because you're going to die next week. I'm saying it because you're going to live for the next 40 years. Why would you not want to live in relationship with God? Stacy came to faith. And in those last weeks of her life, as I visited her at the hospital and as William was there, Ashley did a wedding for her, her and her fiancé in, in, the, in the hospice. You know what? She was a joyful girl. She was full of joy. She wasn't fearful about the future. She wasn't thinking, what's the future holds? As she crossed from this life into the next, she had joy. And where did that joy come from? What was the source of that joy that lasted and is continuing? She has it right now. She's very much alive just now. What was the source of that joy? She understood what Jesus had done for her on the cross. For her, it wasn't just about being religious. It was about a relationship with God. Because when Jesus died on that cross, he did everything for me. When my, my, I, went, I, I went to my mum's funeral in 1996. And I have to tell you, I shouldn't have felt this. I, I kind of almost felt wrong to feel this. But I had a massive emotion of joy at the funeral. And I know you're not meant to feel that. And I, I was sad that she was gone. Big style. I love mum. No one is closer to mum than me. But I have to tell you, I had an, a huge emotion of joy. And do you know what that joy was based on? I knew the reality that mum had accepted what Jesus Christ had done. And it wasn't just a, she's done that, so take, that's okay. I knew it. I knew she had accepted Jesus, that she was alive in God. And that she was, even though she wasn't there now, she was still just as alive in God as she ever had been. She connected with God and she was connected for all eternity. So put your faith in him. If you've never done that, put your faith in him. This is real. You will be saved the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That very second, you come alive. You connect with life. <coughs> now, some of you don't have joy because you wonder, did it really happen for me? Some of you don't experience that joy because you're thinking, did God really forgive me? You're so aware of your failings. They're almost playing like a video cassette in your head constantly telling you you are not accepted you're not good enough uh, what about this sin what about that sin surely you can't be a believer because look at your life it's a mess all these accusations are coming your way and as a result you don't experience that joy some of you have been tormented with that for years it reminds me of a story of Andrew Owen's uncle and Andrew Owen's uncle was a farmer down in Wales and he leased a bit of land and he paid rent on that land all his working life. And to be honest, he hardly made enough money. The, the farm brought in some income and he was able to pay the rent and cover the lease. But really, there was a little bit left over that he and his family could survive on, but not much. And that was all his working life. At the end of his career, he retired and he decided that they would move to a smaller place. So they were, had their lawyers involved with tying up the loose ends of the lease and all of a sudden in that moment they discovered the person they'd been paying the lease to for all these decades was never the landowner in the first place. And you think, that's crazy. And many of you are living like this. You're paying a price you don't need to be paying. You're carrying guilt you don't need to be carrying. If you have come to Jesus Christ, but if you haven't, you need to feel the guilt because you're in a real bad place. If you have come to Jesus, you need to understand what took place in that interaction with you and Jesus in that moment, whenever that took place, was total. It was complete. That when you came to Jesus Christ, all debt was paid. All your sin that you ever have or will 
ever do has been completely covered by blood that was shed on the cross. It's incredible. And therefore, you never need to carry that. Listen to what it says, Isaiah 53, verse 5. This is Isaiah predicting about Jesus' death. And this is what he said. He said, he was pierced for our transgressions. So when Jesus hung on that cross, why was he there? For our transgressions. Who agrees that he did that? Right? So therefore, either he did that or he didn't. And if he did that, then your transgressions, your sins, your law-breaking, instantly is all dealt with. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. In other words, we should have got the punishment, but the Father treated the Son, God the Son. The God the Father treated God the Son the way he should have treated me. He got the punishment. I sh- he treated Jesus the way he should have treated me. He got the hell I should have got. And he did that. Why? So that I can get hell? Either he took it or he didn't. And I've accepted him taking that. That means I'll never, ever face hell. Never. Because he faced all. He took that, and it says, uh, and by his wounds were healed. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pits, and he crowns you with love and compassion. Forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. And it says the Lord is uh, so he crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, but abounding in love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. How high is that? Well, that's pretty measurable. It's immeasurable, isn't it? Well, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, now, if he said north to south, we could have measured that. But he said east to west. And that just kind of keeps going. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. The moment you come to Jesus Christ, you have been declared completely righteous. You know, 65 times in the New Testament, believers are called saints. Any believers here today? Okay, it's good. We could be a church. It's cool. Uh, any saints here today? All right, same thing, same deal, same hands should go up. Do you know what a saint means? It means a holy one. Any completely holy ones here today? Hands up. Oh, I know it's the right answer, but I really don't feel like, okay. I'm serious. If you're not confident putting your hand up, then you're not confident in your Jesus. I'm serious. You should say absolutely. And you don't say it with any hint of arrogance in you. You say it with deep humility but great confidence. Absolutely, I'm a holy one. Why are you a holy one? Because the sinless one died on behalf of me, the sinner. And he declares me completely clean for all eternity. If I'm not holy, if I'm not righteous in the sight of God, then how could the Holy Spirit come and reside in me? The Holy Spirit couldn't dwell in me if I were still a sinner. Now, I understand my behavior rarely measures up to the standing I have before God, but it doesn't take away from the standing I have before God. I and you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have been declared for all eternity holy and righteous. It's incredible. So you receive it, and then you live grateful.
So knowing your sins are washed away, knowing you have been declared righteous, knowing that you're accepted in the sight of God, knowing that you're a child of God is going to bring you joy. And if it doesn't, you're nuts. Number three, the source of lasting joy. You're alive forever. That's the source of lasting joy. Here's a quote by Lord Bertrand Russell, a famous British mathematician, philosopher, and atheist. He said this, he said, when I die, I shall rot, and that's all. He said really good things, Lord Bertrand Russell, (laughs) a bit of a morbid individual. But that's an atheist view. The atheist view is you die, you rot. That's it. That's the view of the atheists. Jesus Christ, in contrast, said this, John eleven twenty five to 26. Now listen, when you hear Lord Bertrand Russell say that, is there not something in your heart that says, can't be? Of course there is. Why? Every human being knows there's an eternity. Ecclesiastes says he has put eternity in our hearts. Why are we totally, the possibility that we just die and that's it, it's a horrendous possibility. Everyone acknowledges that. Even the atheists who's persuaded themselves to believe it in here still knows in there that's a horrendous reality. And it's not even a true reality. You are an eternal person. Jesus said this, John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. No, you'll die. But there's death and there's death. You will die. But when you believe in Jesus, you won't ultimately die. There's a second death. It won't be your second death. When you die in in this existence, you will just simply transition into the presence of God for all eternity. That's a reality. You enter into the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the truth. Jesus said, no one will take away your joy. How will no one take away your joy? Well, first of all, your joy is based on Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. He's alive forever, so therefore the source of your joy is around forever. But secondly, why will no one take away your joy? Because you're around forever to enjoy that joy. Your joy is yours for all eternity because you have become an eternal being by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus describes heaven in Matthew 25, 23. He describes it in one of the parables. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Describing eternity in the presence of the Father as eternal joy. Equally, the presence away from the presence of God for eternity. Hell is eternal misery. And the truth is, you live with God, you'll die with God, and you'll be with God for eternity. You live without God, you will die without God, and you will live without God for all eternity. The weird thing is, if you go into Edinburgh and ask the people in the streets, so do you think when you die, you go to heaven? 90% of people say, yeah, of course. They'd be really indignant if you suggested that they might not. And yet you ask them, is he really excited about God? <laughs> what? You're weird or something? God? doesn't even feature in my priority list. Now, wait a minute. You're adamant you're going to heaven but the place is all about him. And you're not even interested in him in this life. You're not heading for heaven. You're heading for hell. And that's not, that's not anyone else's choice. That's your choice. 
You, have, you say on one hand, yet you deny on the other hand. Because God is the God of eternity. And if you want to be with him for eternity, then why are you not living for him now? It's a choice humans make. Hell is a choice. Why do some believers, okay, so if we're believers, then we should have joy, right? Why do some believers not have joy? It's a good question, eh? Kind of kills the whole sermon, really. So why do some believers not have joy? If, if it's the case, you connect with Jesus, you have joy. And I said it's inevitable. Why do some believers not have joy? Okay, let's ask another question that will help us answer the first question. Why do some believers in countries where they're intensely persecuted often have the most joy? Because I think those two questions are linked. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. It's a great verse, isn't it? Right, so, I mean, look at that, right? Look at their circumstance. What does it say? It says, many troubles and they're very poor. That's their circumstances. And then look at their attitudes. In the middle of that circumstances, what's their attitudes? Abundant joy that results in rich generosity. Wow, what an attitude. In the middle of bad circumstance, yeah? So where did that come from? What's the source? Well, look at the verse. It says, I want you to know what God and his kindness has done. God is the source of their joy. So how's that? Now, let me just make it clear. I don't believe that hardship equals joy. I don't believe that. I believe God equals joy. I believe that. It's just that sometimes, even though God equals joy, it's just that sometimes many other things can clutter our lives and bury that joy. And sometimes it takes a good old hardship for us to strip it right back to the source of our joy, God. Then all of a sudden we realize, and it wasn't that it gone anywhere. It's just that it got buried under a pile of tosh in our lives. I've been enjoying a couple of biographies in the last two weeks. I've been reading through Brother Andrew's biography, The Heavenly Man. And I've been reading God's Smuggler by, sorry, Brother Young's biography, The Heavenly Man, and Brother Andrew's biography, The God Smuggler. Amazing, amazing books. And you know what? It's actually, it's been really cool hanging out with people from a different part of the world. And it kind of takes you out of the, what you're used to. Here's this Brother Young in China, in the kind of, 70s, 80s, and 90s under communist persecution. And he's been imprisoned time after time after time by the, the pr- public security bureau by, under the communists, getting beaten within an inch of his life, told that if he, if he can just tell us who the other people in the churches are, he'll be set free in an instant. And he refuses to betray any of his friends and gets beaten within an inch of his life on numerous occasions, starved in prison, it treated us with, I mean, it's incredible what these guys went through in China. Incredible. He survived, many didn't. 
And yet he refused to quit. And you know what? In the biography, he said often in those times in the prison, God would give him songs. <laughs> you nuts. God gives him songs in the prison. And he starts singing, and he writes them down in the book. Wow, singing songs, full of joy, and yet backs completely against the wall. And then you get Brother Andrew, there he's smuggling Bibles into Russia when it was a hard place to smuggle Bibles into in Eastern European countries under communist dictatorships and so on. And there he's there smuggling Bibles, risk of his own life, facing intense persecution and yet joy. And then I come back and kind of bring myself back to earth in the Western world. And I look, at, I look around and I see believers, oh, don't like church anymore because you sang that song three times. Don't like the glass, not drinking that water. You see, believers just missing the whole point. Oh, the service time changed so the church wasn't convenient anymore. People are risking their lives in other parts of the world to get to believers' gatherings. And yet, you can't be bothered getting out of bed because, oh, the service time doesn't sit anymore. What? You know, why is it some Christians that have joy? And why is it other Christians in part of the world where they're facing the, some of the hardest challenges have deep joy? Not because hardship equals joy, but because God equals joy. And isn't it tragic that sometimes we need some hardship for us to realize that? And I, listen, I don't think it's any more spiritual to be rich or poor. I don't think it's any more spiritual to go through hard times or have it easy. Nothing to do with it. You're just as accepted by God, whether you're rich or poor, or whether you're in a hard part of the world or an easy part of the world, you're just as accepted by God. He's just great God and he loves you just as much because it's nothing to do with what you can earn, nothing at all. But the reality is sometimes it takes those times, those challenges for us to realize. But you don't need to wait for the challenges. You can live in that joy. Just don't put your hopes on all the stuff. Just don't be consumed by the stuff of life. Let your heart be captivated by God and let him be the source of your joy. This will give you eternal perspective. You see, having an eternal perspective will change everything. When you die, you will no longer have your body. You will no longer have all the relationships you had on earth. You will no longer have your grandchildren around you, your wife. Your pension plan will mean nothing to you. That house you bought, that land you owned, it's no longer yours. You can do nothing about it anymore. You're disconnected from it completely. Those plans you had for those holidays and those travels, completely gone. And yet Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. And how can you have that perspective? Well, when you have the perspective that your joy wasn't ultimately in this world anyway, your joy was in the God of eternity, that he actively, not just the thought of God, but the connection with God is the source of your joy then all of a sudden to die is gain. It says in Romans 8, 38, and I end with this. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God, we say thank you so much that you are the source of eternal joy. Jesus, we realize that on that night when you spoke those words to your disciples, you knew exactly what was coming your way. 
You knew that within a few hours you were going to be crucified. And you knew in that moment, it was going to be the darkest moment of all eternity where you took the sin of the world upon yourself. You died as our substitute. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You also knew that at the end of it all, you were going to resurrect on the third day. And you knew the disciples were going to experience joy. And those disciples did. Each one of those disciples had joy that lasts. Nothing could take away their joy. And we see them throughout their lives, Jesus. We see them the decades after the resurrection. We even see them laying their lives down. And they weren't morbid. They weren't sad. They were full of joy. They lived joy-filled lives because of you, Jesus Christ. God, we want to say thank you so much for the joy we can have that's found in you. Okay, just in God's presence, the band will play quietly. Take a moment just to reflect on what you've heard. Take a moment just to pray back your own response to God. Don't rush this time. If there's something or two or three things that have just stood out in your mind, then in this moment, respond to God. Pray back your response. Some of you are carrying very intense burdens. You feel weighed down by the weight of situation or circumstance or things that you're anticipating that are not good. I think that's very much the case in this room just now. And I just want to, just in this moment, just almost lift them to God. Just open your hands and just give those things right now into the hands of God and leave them with God give the burden that you're carrying over to him just now Father right now we give you that concern, that burden that that person is carrying they place it in your hands right now Holy Spirit I pray give them your peace in Jesus name Some of you have been finding joy in, in lots of things, but not God. In fact, you've been pursuing joy in other things that are not God. Some of those things are actually sinful things. And some of you have been actively pursuing joy in sinful things. And God calls you today to repent and to come back to him find him as the source of your joy and he doesn't say it because he's against you I believe he says it because he loves you and he has the best for you some of you are utterly fearful of death I believe God wants to take the fear of death away from you tonight and give you that deep peace because of your faith in Jesus. 
Okay, I'm just going to pray just now and give you an opportunity. If you're here tonight, if you don't know God yet, if you've never made that personal commitment to following Jesus with your life, then in this moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you just to pray this prayer with me, not out loud, just between you and God. And this is a moment for you to put your faith in Jesus and trust him for being your savior on that cross. This is a moment for you to make a really big commitment. And the commitment is you're going to follow him for the rest of your life. And that's a big commitment. But he's so worth it and it's the best. And if that's you tonight, you're willing to put your faith in Jesus and become a follower of his then I invite you just to pray this prayer with me just now, under your breath, repeat this after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you. You love me so much, you died on that cross. And you rose again on the third day. I believe you're alive right now. Would you come into my life Forgive me for my sin. Give me a new start. I commit myself today, Jesus, to being your follower. Be Lord of my life. Take first place in my life. God, thanks for hearing my prayer. Father, thank you for accepting me as your child. In Jesus' name.